Hi there, a quick note before we begin the episode. Did you know that Atlas Lingue has its own audiobook with exclusive and brand new material? It's called Atlas Lingue, the layers of language behind everyday life. In this audiobook, we share additional exclusive commentaries on each episode with brand new insights and examples on the subject that we can't stop thinking about, how humans translate everything that comes their way. Also remember, when you buy Ochenta's audiobooks, you're directly supporting our independent audio series productions. So find Atlas Lingue, the layers of language behind everyday life, on Libro.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, BookBeat, and on your favorite audiobooks app. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Salut! Je parle français, anglais, espagnol. Hola, hablo espagnol, inglés y portugués. Hi, I speak English and French. Ciao, parlo italiano e inglese. I didn't hear you coming. Uh, do you want to join in on carpool karaoke? Because that's what we're doing today. Don't worry if you don't know all the words, or even understand them. On this road trip, it seems like every time I turn on my favorite streaming service, I automatically get a song in a foreign language. Even the algorithm behind it knows I'm fond of languages. But when I was a kid, it felt like almost everything playing on the radio was in either English or Spanish, with a few special hits in a foreign language every now and then. At best, I could hear the occasional Beatles adaptations into Spanish. Songs sometimes have to be translated to have a global impact. But nowadays, it seems like they don't. Now I'm hearing more and more languages I've never heard before. Welcome to Atlas Lingue, a show where we talk about languages, about the joyful, the challenging, and the joyfully challenging aspects of everyday communication. I'm Luis Lopez, and today we're going to talk about songs in translation.
I wonder why, if one of the joys of pop music is singing along in the car at the top of your lungs, so many of us enjoy listening to music in languages we can't even speak. Until I reach my destination today, we're gonna ring up a few people in the know. Because I want to wrap my head around the fact that more and more non-English songs have become global hits. Is it the choreography that accompanies the song and videos that helps K-pop stars break language barriers? How do songs reach global success without being translated? And nobody can help us better understand the K-pop phenomenon than speaking to the self-proclaimed BTS ARMY themselves. These are not your average K-pop fans. Their names are Rin, Faith, and Aditi, and they're part of an international team of fan translators running the website Bangtan Subs. They're volunteers, motivated only by their love for BTS, because... I would say that I just really love the sincerity. I think people underestimate how powerful and how hard it is to be like vulnerable and to be honest with like your audience and with the people who listen to you. Their lyrics really have a deep meaning, so they can make you think out of the box, consider all the things. They live in all corners of the world, but they all have one thing in common, a passion for Korean language and culture. And BTS. Okay, two things in common. Oh, and translating it for everyone else who have been swept away by this wave but can't understand all the lyrics. Okay, three things in common. When I first became a fan and I didn't speak Korean, I really relied on translators who were translating lyrics and translating posts and translating videos. Like I wouldn't have been able to become a fan if they hadn't done that work. And I wanted to be able to help other fans do that as well. I just felt that it would be a waste if people didn't know like the nuances and like the deeper meanings into like what they were saying. So it sounds like you can, just like me, sing along to all the foreign language songs you want. But of course, you'd be missing out on a lot. For example, the members of the band like to make references to Korean proverbs. Like, so like, you come from the creek and you become a dragon. And like, you know, in English it would be like from rags to riches. But that whole like imagery of like a dragon, like a dragon's very big in like Korean culture and like East Asian culture and like you know it's something that doesn't immediately translate but then if I just use rags to riches that loses the whole like imagery. And dragons are not the only things that get lost in translation. One thing in Korean is that there tend to be a lot of onomatopoeic expressions, a lot of expressions that are like based on sounds. And so there was this song uh, released by the member Jimin called Christmas Love. And in the chorus of that song, he's talking about like winter and like snow and everything. And he he says that the snow kind of falls sobok sobok. And like sobok sobok is like, it's kind of meant to represent like the noise or like the, the of like snow kind of like plopping down on the ground. Um, but there's no real like equivalent expression in English. And like in Korean, it sounds so like musical and it goes really well with the lyrics. But in English, that was hard to do. Hard, but not impossible. And so I think I went with softly, gently. So like snow falling down softly, gently as a translation to just represent kind of that feeling of snow falling. As fans who translate for other fans, little details like this don't weigh down the work. 
It's not like they're translating fiction for a broader audience. On the contrary, they're feeding fellow fans who are always craving more content. Here's an example from BTS's song Shadow. The official translation translates this line as The moment I face myself brought lowest, it so happens that I'm flying the highest. But the fan translators have translated it as The moment I face myself at my lowest, it just so happens for there to be a blue sky. And as you can see, maintaining rhyme and rhythm are less of a priority to fan translators than the imagery and emotion. It's important to convey not just the meaning, but also the feeling. It's thanks to fan translators like them that people can have access to the real meaning of Korean songs. But I wonder, there must be something more to it if songs by BTS keep coming up on my Spotify recommendations. I do understand some of the confusion surrounding like the burst of K-pop because it really has like jumped into the mainstream in a way that not a lot of other languages I think can say. I do understand because like Korean is also not really spoken by a very big population. I think part of the reason is that the industry does recognize that there are certain things that you can do to make it easier for an audience to, you know, relate to lyrics. You'll see a lot of like incorporation of like English phrases, like catchy English phrases and like the chorus where it's easy to like sing along, right? Like for most K-pop songs, you'll have like one or two like, you know, earworm where like fans can just sing along even if they don't understand the language. But I don't think that explains everything because the other songs also become super popular and like fans like know how to sing all of it. I'm a victim of those earworms myself. And when earworms fail, our friends at Bangtan Subs have shown us that the internet has made fan translations very accessible. If that wasn't enough, bodily expression comes to the rescue. I think that BTS are incredible storytellers. So whether it's with their music or their performance, I think they're always kind of telling a story. And it's a story that's very, it can be very personal. It's very sincere. I think one thing that's really special about K-pop is that the dances kind of like are a visual representation of what the song is trying to say. Even if you don't know what it is, there's like visceral like reaction you have really where you're like, oh, I can kind of see a story that's happening, you know, in front of my eyes. Even without taking a beginner's class in Korean, audiences are still included, be it with gestures and dance or through universal themes. I have a lot of thoughts that I don't know how to like express and BTS kind of gives me the words to be able to put these thoughts that I have into more comprehensible and more understandable pieces. like. For whether it's to convey to other people or just for myself to like make sense of the world and like what I'm feeling. I feel like there's always a BTS quote for how I'm feeling at any particular time. They can really resonate with other teens from around the world because they everything is so global that the issues people face are similar. And you can see that you relate to someone from South Korea even if you 
you live so far apart. This reminds me of what Matthew from Pixar told us in our very first episode, that we can all relate to the same experiences and emotions. It's one of my favorite episodes, so go back and check it out if you haven't yet. But back to the present and our current journey. Not all bands have had the same luck, an army of fan translators that can make the slightest detail of a song understandable to other fans. But not all songs are translated as faithfully as possible to the original, so that hardcore fans can read along. Some are actually translated to be sung, and that's when the stakes get higher. Song lyrics are complex texts. You could describe most as being oral poetry, and so there's a density of meaning and so on. This is Peter Lowe, a fellow of translation theory, French poetry, and songs at the University of Canterbury in New Zealand. Looking at song translating in the last hundred years, I would distinguish three different outcomes. One is a translation where there's sufficient fidelity that all the significant aspects of the text are translated across the, the cultural boundary. The second one is the adaptation, which compromises on various things that are important, which might, for example, take a Parisian song and uh, set it in London or vice versa. Which is exactly what happened, for example, when Jason Crest's Waterloo Road transformed into Les Champs-Élysées by Joe Dassin a year later. That doesn't retain the cultural uh, integrity of the original. A third thing I must mention, though I don't really like it, it's called the replacement text. A replacement text is when somebody hears a song, likes the tune, and says, oh, I can make up words that fit that tune. This happens a great deal. This makes me think of the Irish run, which has had at least a dozen replacement texts put to it. And this is not the only example. It's an interesting cultural phenomenon that people do this, but it doesn't help the song to cross the language frontier. It helps the music, but music transfers much more easily than words anyway. I don't think music is an international as a perfect global language, but it certainly works much more easily. A good melody is going to strike people as a good melody in, in most countries of the world. If we're interested in, in cultural understanding, we probably want fidelity and not somebody else's version of what something or other might be. A case here I, I can give from an, an Austrian critic. He looked at a, a German translation of Edith Piaf, you know, the wonderful French singer from 60 years ago. Very gutsy, tiny woman, right? And this guy said, the well-known German translation is not faithful to the essence of Edith Piaf. It hasn't got the vulnerability, it, it hasn't got the sense of death. Well, once upon a time, when studying a foreign language wasn't that accessible, adaptation and replacement texts were the only things that brought songs closer to foreign audiences. 
But maybe striving for a faithful yet enjoyable translation is the middle way. Peter Lowe, however, says the best way to translate a song is a little bit like competing in a pentathlon. The concept of a pentathlon involves the concept of optimizing your overall score. So, for example, if I'm trying to find a rhyme for the end of one, one line in a song, there might be one word that rhymes better, but another word that actually translates what's in the original, and there might be some compromise in between. Now, because of your trade-offs, flexibility is required. If you lose sight of the main criteria, then you're going to a lower overall score than if you try to balance them all up and, and do the optimal uh, compromises, the optimal trade-offs. I'm not much of an athlete, but I think I get the picture. When translating a song to be sung, you need to achieve all five elements. Briefly speaking there, singability, sense, naturalness, rhythm, and rhyme. Compared to this, Fan translation is a bit like competing in a single sport, instead of a pentathlon. The only thing that matters to them is conveying sense, exactly the opposite of what a lyric translator does. The precise meaning of the words and the information may be less important than the emotion, for example, or sometimes even the sound of the words. Naturalness means that the text with which you produce, in this case, the song which is going to be sung in your language, has to sound as though it was originally created in that language. Take for example the English translation of the bossa nova classic Garota de Ipanema by Tom Jobim and Vinicius de Moraes, famously known as the girl from Ipanema. The iconic first line goes, tall and tan and young and lovely. Did you know in the original Portuguese the lyrics say nothing about the girl being tall? But the alliteration and rhythm helped the English version sound just as natural and pleasing to the ear. And maybe it says something about American beauty standards, too. The singer wants to be able to sing it sincerely and sort of own it as a lyric. If you're translating a song, then it's more like a sculpture. Because as you're working on it, and then when it's finished, there are all these angles to look at. Even if we can't understand the lyrics, many say music is a universal language, because songs have an importance in just about every human culture. And an appreciation of music can help us become citizens of the world. I suppose from the point of international understanding, human beings ought to try to evolve towards being global citizens. Well, one way of being a more of a global citizen is to know the insides of some other people's songs. Just what is going on. And translators and singers can help to do that. There has been so much travel, so much migration, that's going to happen more. And maybe we will come to learn that there is a great treasury of song all around the world, uh, songs in dozens of languages, and it's a pity just to stay with our own things that we like most. Well, it seems like younger generations are disrupting this pattern. And the K-pop wave we're witnessing is just more proof of that. I understand how singing BTS's catchy tunes and relatable themes can make them quite popular. 
but it's still not clear to me how they have broken such international barriers. The song that is heard in a foreign language which I don't understand is only reaching me as music and the voices are reaching me as instrumental sounds and not as human voices speaking words. Now, my main guess is that the, uh, the rhythm is uh, exciting and novel and that that's the key, but you might have better theories than that. To see if Peter's guess is correct, let's speak to Mark Verbord, a professor in media communications at Erasmus University in Rotterdam, the Netherlands. I think in general, it's making sure that you have a smart mix of various elements in your music. That's so in terms of the music itself, making sure that you appeal to a wider audience by having something familiar, but also something novel. I think K-pop in general has done that. They have really done that very, very well. They were incorporating elements from European American music, which are already there, electronic dance music and a bit of hip hop and pop, but also adding their own Korean influence there. And in a smart way um, that it was appealing to a large audience. But still, why Korea? Why not Japan's J-pop? It's interesting to compare K-pop and J-pop uh, because J-pop has had much more difficulty in becoming successful globally uh, because at least that's what the scholars uh, say here. J-pop remained very much focused on its own internal market. So Japanese artists were not stimulated to think about global markets. So that remained still very much focused on its own Japanese market, didn't incorporate a lot of elements from elsewhere, and K-pop did. In fact, during a financial crisis in the late 90s, the South Korean government decided to improve its cultural influence by pouring millions of dollars into the Ministry of Culture, with a department specifically dedicated to K-pop. And clearly, it worked wonders. But maybe this growing interest in international pop music is not exclusively a thing of the present, or a result of government support. Maybe it's just how younger generations are wired. Young pop audiences, the new cohorts of people who, who enter the music market and start listening to music, they're always interested in discovering new things. They're always basically trying to avoid what their predecessors listened to, and, and, and discovering new things as part of, of, the, of the cycle of pop music. And where it comes from is not always relevant for them. More recent generations, you could also argue, I think, that they are in many ways more open to all kinds of cultural influences than, than maybe previous generations were. Perhaps also because they grew up in the time of internet. Because if they go online, they see all kinds of, of things, all kinds of cultural phenomena. So for them, I think it's also a logical thing to simply, okay, this is something from which is created there. Hey, that's interesting. That's great. I want to know more about this. But I think it's also related to the rise of the internet, to new uh, media practices and the new ways of um, engaging with culture. I was there once. Teenagers like exotic things. If I were a teenager back in the 60s, I'd probably be on the lookout for new music too. Only, I'd like it translated. I'm not sure whether you are familiar with, uh, with the old songs of the Beatles and uh, there's, She Loves You. And uh, that time, 
artists still sometimes translated these songs. So there are these, these versions of She Loves You from the Beatles in German. And she needs these, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but somehow, if you listen to that, it sounds also a bit artificial, a bit, a bit strange. And pop music is, uh, I think, more than films or television. It's more of an emotional, more of an emotional attachment, an emotional element to it. That could explain why teenagers today don't like their BTS sung in translation. Also because the lyrics are often about emotional topics, about love and about uh, desire and things like that. So I think it's, it feels more natural to keep it in the original language. But having said that, of course, in the Spanish language market, a lot of artists there record their songs in various versions or at a certain point in their career, they switch in terms of language. Case in point, Shakira. Another artist I fondly remember singing along to on the radio. But speaking of the radio, despite their popularity, why have I never heard BTS on the airwaves? The problem is that a lot of the traditional media still really think in terms of formats and in particular ways of working. And that, of course, is a bit of a barrier to new ways of thinking and to also having new elements uh, bring into the mix. I think in, in, in the past, uh, also other musical genres that were a bit uh, off the mainstream had difficulty being played at, at the music stations. I mean, genres like heavy metal, they were always difficult to get broadcasted. And, and hip hop, of course, for a long time was also faced difficulties in getting played. But now, of course, we hear hip hop on the radio all the time. Maybe K-pop can also soon break that barrier. Depends a little bit, of course, on if young people mainly listen to their music outside of radio, then the radio stations might not have an incentive to do so because there are no audiences for you. And maybe, just maybe, with the younger generations listening to most of their music on streaming platforms like Spotify or YouTube, what plays on the radio is no longer a sign of what's popular? I don't know, just a thought. Overall, in the course of pop music, English language pop music really has been the standard and has been the best ticket to become internationally successful. But yeah, there are fluctuations in languages. And in the last couple of years, we really see the rise of, of Spanish language music, which has to do with the popularity of Latin pop, uh, starting in the 1990s, where there are a couple of artists coming also from, from Latin America. Who crossed over into uh, English language uh, pop markets, often by uh, recording songs both in English and in Spanish in a very uh, smart way. I guess Mark is hinting at hits like Despacito or one hit wonders like Gangnam Style. There are a couple of these phenomena who really have exploded worldwide. Doesn't always mean, of course, that these artists stay on top because Psy is kind of a, at least in Europe and in America, a one-hit wonder, I guess. Beyond these one-hit wonders, a genre like K-pop making it this big overseas is still a pretty big deal to us. But our world is constantly becoming more and more connected. This K-pop wave is letting my imagination run free. I imagine one day not far in the future, 
a truly global music market with household names from all over the world in languages like Zulu, Japanese, or Norwegian? Or is K-pop an anomaly? One of the important predictors for global success still remains the idea of cultural proximity. So the idea that the culture that you, um, that you listen to uh, that resonates with your own culture. So if you listen to music from, uh, from outside of your country, then it's most likely that you will first start to listen to music from countries which are similar to your own country. So it's, it's difficult to predict whether this really will be broken. The role of language indeed has these ebbs and flows. There are, are trends and sometimes there are peaks in popularity of other languages and sometimes not. In the noughties, for instance, there was a lot of music from the own country and the own language that was very popular in, in a lot of European and American countries. And why was this? Because there were all these idol shows, American Idol, and, and every country had its own idol show. And that meant that a lot of local heroes became popular based upon these shows. And as soon as these shows started to become less popular and less important, in, then again, there was room for, for other music also. So it's sort of difficult to predict how things go, because new cultural phenomena can emerge. Even though progress isn't always linear, the music industry continues to become more and more global. In a not-so-far future, we'll see that K-pop really is that special after all. It could also be that K-pop remains a very strong uh, genre in the global market. And same for reggaeton, that, that, that there are these centers of production which will remain in place for, for years to come, that is also possible. Yeah, it's difficult to predict. Well, it looks like we've reached our destination. It was a long drive from Korea to the Beatles in German to songs that relocate from London to Paris to appeal to local audiences. We've given a ride to fans who translate so that every single part of a song is preserved. And translators who prioritize naturalness, rhythm, and rhymes over the literal meaning of a song. We discover that not only music, but lyrical expression can bring us together, no matter what language it's in. As proven by Italian singer Adriano Celentano in 1972, he wrote a pop song that wasn't in any language at all. He wanted to break down language barriers and inspire people to communicate more. Tired of hearing everything sung in a language he couldn't understand, he wrote a song to mimic the way English sounds to non-English speakers. No one noticed, and it became a hit. Thank you for listening to Atlas Lingue. If you're new to the series, catch up with our previous episodes. Special thanks to our guests, Bang Tan Subs, Peter Lowe, and Mark Verbord. If you want to correspond with Peter about song translation, you can find him at peterallenlowe at gmail.com. That's P-E-T-E-R-A-L-A-N-L-O-W at gmail.com. 
production and theme by Studio Ochenta. Sound design by Chiara Santella. Senior producer, Grizia Sala. Assistant producers, Haley Choi, Leo Ibanez, Leia Zipstein, and Clark Marchese. For more information on Atlas Lingue, a Studio Ochenta original series and podcast, visit ochentastudio.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Ochenta Podcasts. Our podcast is available on CastBox, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Hi, it's Luis here, and I want to tell you about a show we've been listening to called The Pulso Podcast. There are a lot of podcasts that cover Latino culture and news. But this is one of the first we've heard that really utilizes the throughline of history to provide more context and nuance to our stories. From the halls of Congress to the stages of Broadway, even the food we consider to be American, Latinos helped build this country. And we're not going anywhere. Yet most podcasts are still lacking Latino representation behind and in front of the mic. The Pulso Podcast is a Latina-hosted, Latina-produced show that explores untold stories and unheard voices shaping the experiences of nuestra gente. They've covered topics from beauty standards and gender equality to mental health and food origins. And did you know that there is an official Spanish version of the Star-Spangled Banner? Or that a team of Mexican lawyers changed the future of segregation laws in the 50s? To hear more, Check out the Pulso podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.